Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Vermill, host of Locked On Heat. Today's episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you by Built Bar, the best-tasting low-carb protein bar. The promo code Locked On gets you $10 off your first box at BuiltBar.com. If the season does come back, the Jazz will be without one of their best players and will play One's Gotta Go later on. But first, David, the last dance wrapped up on Sunday, and a lot of it's already been covered already, uh, but one of the questions that I still have that I feel went unanswered is why exactly did Michael Jordan retire after 1998? Because he said on the last episode that he believed he was at his peak, that between whatever athleticism that he still had and the level of craftsmanship that he had developed in his game— between those things that he thought he could have led the Bulls to a seventh championship. But instead, when the Bulls rebuilt, he retired. And I don't know why he didn't just go play somewhere else, because he could have gone anywhere. He's Michael Jordan, and I don't feel like the documentary or MJ did a good job of explaining why he didn't just relocate. I don't think relocation was ever an option for Jordan. I I think the idea of Jordan playing his whole career in Chicago was so important. And obviously it changed a few years later when he came out of retirement to play for the Washington wizards after being a part owner of the team. And so I think that he just felt like it was necessary for him to retain that the integrity of that lasting image of that, uh, that legacy of playing for Chicago throughout his whole career and being able to win six championships and six attempts and things of that sort. And I feel like as much as he's willing to, well, as much as he says right now that he thinks a seventh championship would have been in the cards, I don't know that that's realistic. One, there was a lockout too. And so the, the, you know, the 98, 99 season was shortened. I think it was, uh, I want to say 50 games. And, and so that kind of hiatus one, there was also the fact that, I mean, he didn't know this obviously when he was talking about it at the time, maybe, um, you know, he, he wound up getting hurt. I don't know that wasn't covered in the documentary. I think we've, we've discussed it since then. He wound up slicing his hand open or a ligament in his thumb while he was cutting a cigar. Um, obviously he has a, a penchant for smoking cigars. And so he, he hurt himself during that hiatus during the lockout. And so he, it didn't seem like he was going to be able to come back anyway. More importantly though, I, I just feel like that championship wasn't as much of a guarantee. And so for him, if he's risking it, then that, that, that legacy takes a serious hit. Like the main argument for you know, for Michael Jordan fans, is that you know he's six of six as opposed to LeBron, who's three of, of uh, nine in his uh, finals appearances. If he goes there in '99, maybe he doesn't win a championship, and so I think that's a, a big part of the problem. I mean, I also I don't know that Phil Jackson would have come back too. I mean, right. I, I think that I mean I, Jackson was never coming back. Well, that's the thing. That's Phil. Phil that was Michael Jordan's whole right. thing is that he wouldn't play for another coach other than Phil Jackson. And I just keep wondering, well, then I get not playing for Chicago if it's not under Phil Jackson, because it, it wasn't just like it wasn't just because Phil Jackson wasn't going to be there. It was because of Jerry Krause. It was because of ownership. And we, he obviously wasn't happy with how upper management treated coaches and players. And that had that that part of uh, his experience in Chicago and worn thin by the, by 1998. Uh, I just don't get why he wouldn't. If he still felt like he could play, and he obviously did, because he said so in the documentary, and then he came back to go play for the Wizards, why didn't he just go play somewhere else? 
If it wasn't for Phil Jackson, I get it. But go to the New York Knicks. Go to no. Los Angeles. Go no, somewhere that never, else. That like, never seemed realistic. I, I just at the I, moment. Why, but why? Is, I, I just don't, I don't in know. The moment it just never. Yeah, it just it, it just didn't seem. You know that was like part of his whole. It would have tarnished his legacy. That whole image kind of played out so perfectly for a guy like him. That you know to take that last shot to be able to do everything he did as we saw. Do you think he was? Field. But do you think he was thinking of it like that? Because I don't. I actually think that he would have, like, from, because I agree, I thought that that's what, I thought it was John Elway. I thought that's what he was doing, right? And it sounds like from from this documentary that he he would have went after a seventh if he would have came back for that next year if he could have Phil Jackson, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Rodman all back. That's what he said. And yeah. I, and I want, and, and so if that's, I guess maybe that would have been the only context in which he would have. Obviously, it would have been the only context in which he would have came back because that didn't happen, and he and he retired. I just felt like the documentary itself. I agree with everything you're saying. I just wish they would have explained it a little bit more in the documentary. I wish they would have. I wish Michael Jordan would have been asked that question because to me it seems like the obvious follow up when he is talking about we could have went for seven. My whole thing is why couldn't you have gone for seven? Well, Why I also, you I have also think he didn't want and, to play anymore. Like to be honest with you, like not just the yeah. fact that he didn't want to play for Chicago. I don't think he was as hungry as he's making it seem now. In retrospect, twenty something years later, I don't think he's a, he was as hungry in nineteen ninety eight. He'd already accomplished. I think that I think you're right about so that. much. Like yeah. he'd already surpassed everything. Like for him, if anything, this documentary has shown that he needs an edge. That he'll find it. He'll create it. Um, he'll manufacture it somehow in order to say, "Oh no, this is what I need in order to, to propel me to that next level." And I don't think, you know, with the exception of maybe saying, you know, I, I, I'm Bill Russell's, you know, in my sights. He's the one player that I, I still need to be able to knock out, and that's unrealistic. Like he's just not going to win twelve championships. And so, in order for him to do that, uh, you know, he's already beaten my Magic. You know, he's already beaten Larry. There's nobody of his peers right. that you know could compete with Michael at his level of success, and you know he look. I mean, he took two years off. You know, uh, that's that's a huge thing for. Him. I mean, he could have won eight straight championships, to be honest with you. So I, I mean, that, no, that's that's that it, it blows my mind because you think about these guys and you kind of like six championships is so many, and to go six and zero oh is to win, is is uh, it's unbelievable. But it still feels like he should have won more, doesn't it? Like even even before ninety one, like it kind of feels like he should have won one, like that year when uh, uh, um, uh, Scottie Pippen had the migraine against Detroit. Like, mm. ha- had it not been for the migraine, they'd probably win seven, right? And I mean, it's hard to say butterfly effect type things, but like sure. they probably do. And he could have, like, maybe you could have retooled the way you did between the first three Pete and the second three Pete. And you could have brought Michael Jordan back, and maybe they go ahead. Like it does, sort of feel like he could have. And maybe if he doesn't take that time off, I don't know. It just it, it feels like had he played a little bit longer, and some things been a little bit different, I kind of feel like he won fewer championships than he was supposed to. Ooh. And I, I think that's crazy to say, but it kind of feels like he did. Because uh, I, I think he could have won seven or eight. In the moment, I feel. That it wasn't, it didn't seem like that. I feel like it was more about focusing on the fact that he went out on top, and I think that's so important. Like he even talked about that in one instant when he's riding in the car with Lackey slash journalist Ahmad Rashad, and and saying, <laughs> you know, R- Rashad's talking about uh, you know just retirement and things like that. This is, I think, before the nineteen ninety three championship, his third championship. And he's saying, you know, that Michael was saying that, you know, Ewing had referred to at some point 
um, that if he when he retires, he has to be dragged off rather than you know playing it out. And in fact, you know he wound up retiring as a member. Of, what is it, the Seattle Sonics? Uh, you know, after mm-hmm. after being traded to the Orlando Magic, like his whole career took a strange turn after a long, long career in New York. And Michael didn't want that. Jordan wanted to be able to go out on top. And you know, you and I have talked about that a number of times. That is so important for professional athletes to feel like they're in control of their destiny. And for a player like Michael, who was uber in control of every small infinitesimally small aspect of his life i feel like that it was so important for him to say you know what this is it this is a storybook ending i can't control this i am absolutely on top i'm healthy i could play another one i choose not to it's the ultimate f you slap to everybody in the face there and saying you know we've tried our whole lives for our championship you could probably go and get another one in your seventh year and you choose not to that's incredible right. I, I feel like that's yeah and it a part of the uh, the whole thing that we're kind of overlooking here. Yeah, and it adds it, it it's I think it's good and bad for his legacy because it adds a certain dimension of what if, which is why I say it kind of feels like he could have one more and probably should have one more, which I understand is a crazy thing to say, but you're right, like it is sort of the it almost adds to his legend, right? It's like he was he he won 6 championships. He won every time he was in the finals, never went to a game 7. And yet he was probably still better than that is sort of the legend of Michael Jordan, right? I want to talk a little bit more about his legacy in a bit, but first, the world of protein bars is being rebuilt by Built Bar. This is the best-tasting protein bar I've ever had. It's a protein bar covered in 100% real chocolate. It's absolutely delicious. There's 16 amazing flavors, and they're coming out with more. Built Bar tastes like a candy bar while delivering fewer sugars and carbs, making it better tasting and better for you than any of its competitors. With delicious flavors like mint brownie, raspberry chocolate cream, and toffee almond, Built Bar is like a cheat code for health-conscious men and women everywhere. These bars are low-calorie, they're low-sugar, they're also high in protein and high in fiber, making them perfect for any ketogenic and any other low-carb style diets. Um, David, I've had most of these right now. Honestly, we got like these boxes for free from Built Bar so that we right. can promote them. Right. And I'm not, I'm, I'm like, I'm savoring them. I'm like spacing them out. So I've had, I think, half of them at this point. I think my favorite is the raspberry chocolate cream. Do you have a favorite? I like that. Have you finished yours? No, I have not. Uh, banana chocolate okay. cream is the one I'm leaning towards as my favorite. I wish I had gotten the cookie dough. I did not get that, so unfortunately I have okay. not been able to try it. That's the one I'm most curious about, but I'll probably wind up using, like most of our listeners, the code to order a box of cookie dough uh, in the future because they're just great. My, my wife loves the mint brownie delight. Um, I've never liked that combination, but she swears by it, and so uh, she just – they're such an easy snack. It's so great for her. You know, she doesn't feel like cooking all the time. We've got a one-year-old. It's not like you can always just go and, and prepare a lavish meal. Sometimes you just need a snack to keep you going, and that's where these built bars are so perfect. And you mentioned the promo code there. It is the promo code is locked on for ten dollars off of your first order. So you go you go to builtbar.com, use that promo code, one word promo code, locked on for ten dollars off at builtbar.com. Okay, so we got some news out of Utah in regards to one of their better players that ha- that could affect if this this postseason if it it does return. But I want to sort of wrap up our Michael Jordan conversation here, in regards to what you were saying before. This was the storybook ending. This was the way that he wanted to go out, and I don't disagree with any of that. But I I, I do think almost when we talk about legacies and we talk about greatest of all time, and ESPN had ran this poll. Uh, I think it was on Monday, saying that 74% of people think now that Michael Jordan is the greatest ever over LeBron James. Right. And I, that would not have been the case. It wouldn't have been as high as 74% before this documentary aired. 
Okay, this is just like after LeBron comes back from 3-1 in the finals in 2016 that now every, like it was a lot of people saying the opposite, that LeBron had now surpassed Michael Jordan as the greatest ever. What I'm saying is there's definitely recency bias on all these things, and it could be as unbelievable as doing what LeBron did in 2016 or just airing a documentary of all of your accomplishments in 2020. But um, I think it affects everything, but when we really kind of get away from all that stuff and really look at what happened here, I do think that the path to surpassing Michael Jordan is not leaving those what-ifs. I mean, that's the only way. Uh, I, nobody's going to do... I don't think anybody's going to go 6-0 in the finals like that. I don't think they're going to be just singularly dominant the way Michael Jordan was in that way um, with sort of that resume that he had. But if you look at LeBron winning championships in two different cities, maybe a third if he can do it in L.A., you look at what Kawhi Leonard is doing right now, um, if he, especially if he can win a third with a third franchise with the Clippers, I think that's sort of the route of doing it. Just being like, hey, I didn't need the, I didn't need Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen and ownership in Chicago and all this infrastructure that I had had because mm-hmm. I'm so great individually that I can do it anywhere. And I guess it's sort of like the Tom Brady argument, why, what he's doing going to Tampa and all these things. I, I think that's sort of the road. If and when anybody ever really surpasses Michael Jordan. That's the way to do it. I don't think anybody's going to be able to do it like Michael or Kobe or something like that. I think you have to go this other route. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And honestly, even if LeBron were to win it, I think he would be – I still think he's you know the greatest player over Jordan even after the documentary. But I think the Kawhi route so early in his career, even possibly before having reached the peak of his career, to be able to win two different championships in two different cities – he's probably got the best chance of being able to surpass the accomplishments of Jordan. And even then, like, he just won't reach the individual accolades because his game is so different. Like, he's just not going to be that kind of prolific a scorer. He's not going to be that same kind of playmaker as Jordan. And so it it does change a lot as far as the the context for how the greatest of all time uh, discussion is viewed. You know, you bring up a good point, though, because I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, it's... It's harder to do what, what what LeBron has done than what Jordan's done. Like, Jordan was able to kind of weather the storm and just put up with Detroit getting older, getting past Boston as they aged out of the playoffs and everything else, then being able to take all comers in New York and Orlando and everybody else. But he still had that kind of integrity of that system. For him to be able to step away for two years and then slip right back into it is a testament to Chicago, not necessarily to Jordan. It's the fact that they had mm-hmm. the same kind of supporting cast or at least that style of play. Like if, you know, it, let's say if in LeBron's case, he leaves Miami in 2014, not necessarily to go to Cleveland, but say something else. Like he takes a hiatus the same way Jordan does. But then he steps back in 2015 or 16, and he's able to compete for championships again with an older Dwayne Wade and a retooled roster. Then all of a sudden, you kind of start having that same discussion about LeBron as well. And, and I think it would have been interesting to see how that might have played out. But you're right. As far as being able to do it differently in other cities, I think it just it's incredible to think that you know it's about winning basketball, not necessarily about the strength of an organization. And kind of, it also kind of you know I think ironically, it makes what Jerry Cross was able to accomplish in Chicago seem all that greater. The fact that he was able to mm-hmm. build together a team to stay for that long and and to be able to still win at a high level even without Michael Jordan. I do think that that team that it had reached its expiration point. I think Phil Jackson said it best. He was just like, it's time. Like, it's, it's over. Uh, I think in hindsight and on paper, it's easy to just look at it and say, yeah, they should have stayed together. But this is why, again, I'll go back to this. If somebody does surpass Michael Jordan, it's going to be because he retired in 1998 instead of going to another team. 
uh, and maybe winning a, one more championship elsewhere. I really do think that. And I, it will, it'll get to the point where even if it didn't happen right away, even if it didn't win four straight championships, right, even if he had to go, you know, six and one before he was seven and one in the finals, just getting the seventh one and doing it for a separate franchise, I think would have just been like this sort of, crazy to say, icing where, on the cake. Not that he needed it. Where could he have gone, though? I mean, like, New York. It's the Knicks. No doubt. That would have been interesting with Jeff Van Gundy there, an older Patrick Ewing. So replace Allen Houston and Latrell Sprewell with Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah. Honestly, yeah, because they made the Sprewell deal that year, right? Yeah. So you you do, instead of him, you get Michael Jordan, and, and he loved playing at Madison Square Garden. It would have been perfect. One year to kind of carry that the Knicks team there. I mean, it would have been exciting to be honest with you. It would have been uh, and the NBA, and the refs and the NBA would have told the refs to give them all the calls if they weren't already because it's the Knicks. So it would have been perfect. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, let's switch gears here um, and talk about some present day stuff because we actually have some NBA news happening. Um, this could be a tough loss for the Utah Jazz, according to ESPN. Bojan Bogdanovic is undergoing season-ending surgery on his right wrist. Uh, and though the decision gives Bogdanovich a chance to fully recover in time for the 2020-21 season, it means that the fourth-place Jazz won't have their sharp shooting forward if the NBA is able to resume the 2019-2020 season and postseason. David, do you think this says anything at all about how players and teams are viewing the possibility of resuming play? It's hard to kind of gauge that because from what we are hearing from the report is that he hurt himself actually as uh, early as late 2019. So maybe around December or late December at some point. And he was just playing through discomfort, still being able to put up good numbers. But as the Jazz resumed workouts, it became apparent to Bogdanovich that he just wasn't able to play through that injury any longer. Maybe the two-month hiatus kind of had just caused him to hurt even more and he just wanted to be at full strength maybe the anticipation is that the season will end I I don't know to be honest with you it seems like more and more everybody's gearing up towards the resumption of the season and if that's the case then this kind of seems antithetical to that I'm not quite sure what the delay was you know if he was maybe he was just kind of biding his time trying to see in in late March or even early April what was going to happen next but it seemed like he could have had surgery at that point rather than wait a couple months. And then now that they're resuming workouts, all of a sudden say, you know what? I feel like it's important for me to get the, the season-ending surgery. And, and the caveat that he'll be ready for the 2020-2021 uh, season, it's like, when, when could that be? Who knows when that will restart, restart? You know, nobody has any idea. It's just it's it's weird that he waited as long as he did, given the fact that you know there was this hiatus already there as a natural time place for him to just kind of you know, start the healing process. Instead, he just waited two months unnecessarily, kind of pulling a Scottie Pippen, un- uh, you know, unironically. Yeah. Um, and look, I, it, one of the reasons the Jazz got Bogdanovich was because they needed a player like him for the postseason specifically because they were dealing with so many spacing issues and they could play, play him as a stretch four next to Rudy Gobert and give Gobert and Donovan Mitchell more room to work. Mm-hmm. And um, not having him, and given that the Mike Conley thing hasn't exactly worked out the way that they thought it would, uh, really hurts and look. Oh, the I chances are done, right? I mean, their chances yeah, are absolu- done. I, done. They, they were slim, done. maybe I, I, at best, but yeah, I mean, now they're exactly. just absolutely shot. Twenty points per game. You can't replace that with anybody. His ability to get to the line, the space, the floor. I mean, everybody would have to take a significant leap in their respective production in order to match what he was able to do. And the thing is, I I, I agree with you. Their chan- their chances were very slim in the first place. It just seems like the Jazz. <laughs> 
Like I, I didn't I didn't like their chances even before. Like everybody's sure. picking them as like the dark horse because Bogdanovich and Conley and I still didn't love their their ceiling compared to Clippers and the Lakers and the Rockets and stuff like that. But right. um, between the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell stuff that mm. is happening since the coronavirus outbreak and just the drama between them and the, now this Bogdanovich thing, it's just to me like anything can happen because we don't know what the postseason's going to look like. But they've got no chance. Um, uh, I, I just overall it does. It just seems to me now like the more this stuff happens, it kind of feels like players. There are some players who are pro the league coming back and resuming play. Yeah. But it seems like there's a lot of people just sort of punting on this in general, just saying, you know what, whatever happens, happens. But I'm not expecting much. And I, I kind of get that feeling right now. Like maybe he went back to the. Uh, practice facility maybe start doing individual workouts and realize that risk was just got worse maybe like with that without being able to go to the gym or something like that it's just simply like you know the the status of it deteriorated maybe there's like you know something was going on with the muscle tissue or something like that where he just wasn't able to work it out and it got worse as opposed to better over a couple weeks but yeah. uh, or over a couple months but uh it, it could be as simple as that but you know if it, he was playing with it since mid-january according to these reports so Unless it got a whole lot worse, like you would think he would just play through it if he thought that the the postseason was coming back at all or anytime soon. So maybe he just sort of had to grapple with reality and just say, you know what, I got to get the surgery now, better late than never. Um, all right, we play One's Gotta Go next. This is Locked On NBA. One of the internet games that's become a popular pastime is One's Gotta Go. So we're going to play our own version here. David, I want to start here. Uh, in the interest of um, The Last Dance, and this, this, I guess, will be our last Last Dance-themed show since the documentary's over, um, I wanted to take a look at some of the opponents that Michael Jordan faced during his time, and so I picked the three best ones, what I thought were the best ones, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but one's got to go between the 93 Suns, the 96 Sonics, and then I just lumped the 97 and 98 Jazz into one team because they are basically the same team. So the 93 Suns, the 96 Sonics, or the 97-98 Jazz. One's got to go. Ooh, that, that is tough because I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I I think the Sonics were arguably the weakest of the three teams, but um, they were also really fun. And, I, I mean, I loved watching that combination of Gary Payton and Sean Kemp, and I think there was a lot of depth there. Even if that depth wasn't kind of overwhelming, they had some really quality bench players guys that could shoot the ball Nate McMillan who was a good defender you know all these different pieces there that kind of seemed to add up to to playoff success and they just weren't able to really achieve it on any kind of consistent level and then following the lockout you know Sean Kemp was traded so they kind of their window was much shorter than it 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 kind of feels in the moment so I also think you know kind of in retrospect that the Suns were a good team that kind of were able to sustain it for a little bit longer again they just fell short the Jazz were you know the Western Conference the best team in the Western Conference a deep Western Conference for two straight years I mean that's that kind of speaks to their consistency and their greatness so I I think the Suns and the Jazz are probably the better of the three teams so unfortunately I'm going to have to kick Seattle just like the league did a few years ago (laughs) uh better player who had the best player among those three teams? Is it easily Charles Barkley? I think it's Charles Barkley. Yes, I think for his versatility. Um, yeah. Because, you know, there was there was something about, you know, kind of what, what we were talking about before, the, the stability of, of structure and the system and everything else. Like Carl Malone thrived so well in that system, playing alongside John Stockton and, and with Jerry Sloan's coaching. But take him out of that, and I 
doubt he plays anywhere near as effective, even at his peak. We don't really have any kind of sample size other than his one season in Los Angeles, and that was you know that was not going to work because of you know the the, fr- the the friction in that team and the fact that he was playing alongside Kobe Bryant and and Shaquille O'Neal in a much very different role. But as far as the greatest player, yeah, I, I think I think. Barkley, although he wasn't a great defender, like his playmaking ability, his rebounding and his scoring was just so complete that it made him a really truly great player. I, I think probably better than Malone overall. Although I think Malone's numbers, when you look at the the career hierarchy and and where they kind of fit, I, I think Malone is generally ranked higher than Barkley. But right. Barkley Barkley's peak higher was peak. yeah better yeah. than Malone's. And he won the MVP that's that '93 season that we're that we're talking about. So as far as just like who had the best player between those vintages of teams, it's just it's Barkley far and away. And you can even argue that maybe Gary Payton. No, was no. no. Was, he, he, just no? Wasn't, he wasn't the kind of scorer. Um, but you know his, his defense was such a big part of it. And he was a great passer, and it, it was a different system. I'm not saying you know? I'm not I'm not saying Gary Payton as number one, but I would say like up like I, I would you could almost say like Gary Payton. In '96, I don't know that he was better than Carl Malone in '97 and '98, Ooh, no, but he was no. he was but he was closer than I think in regards to like uh, you know all time rankings. Maybe because I thought that 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 Gary Payton was re- like one of the best versions of Gary Payton in '96. Yeah, I mean he was just he was this team singular playmaker. He was like he was a great right. ball handler and a phenomenal defender. And then his scoring was just kind of not as important a factor as as far as what defined him and made him such a great player but he was a, a competent scorer he had a good first step and he was able to get past most defenders and things of that sort but uh yeah i don't know it's 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 uh apples to oranges kind of conversation there but at the yeah. same time he was absolutely a great player and again just fun as hell to watch like his defense was so great it's kind of it was kind of hard to see michael dismiss it so completely in the last dance documentary I, right did, did you get any kind of takeaway from that because i know we're kind of wrapping up our discussion of the last dance but i don't know that as fun as the whole process went over, over the last five weeks and as much as i enjoyed being able to discuss it i don't know that it revealed much other than the, the greatest takeaway of that is michael is absolutely a, as big a dick as i thought he was i i think if michael jordan had gone chalk on his Hall of Fame speech, meaning not just doing the thing he actually did in his Hall of Fame speech, which is just to trash almost everybody he's ever come in contact with. Right. Um, this would have been more shocking had he not done that in the Hall of Fame speech. Because we learned that, right, about it. We knew it, but we really saw it in the Hall of Fame speech. And then he basically did the same version of that from his mansion in Miami during this documentary, right? And it was just, he completely dismissed other people. He completely, all this stuff just trashed everybody who ever came in contact with him. Um, I think, it, again, it would have been more shocking had we not already knew this. But did it you, was, did you it, read the, Did you read that those weren't his mansions? Like, they're filmed in three different locations, none of which were his? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, like that, those shots of him sipping on bourbon and smoking a cigar and everything else like that. Three different shots that were used... Three different locations and Jupiter, Florida, none of which were actually Michael Jordan's house. Like he didn't either he didn't want people in his house or he wanted to convey something different. I'm not sure exactly what the motivation is. Like knowing Jordan or seeing a glimpse of Jordan the way we have over the last five weeks, like who can who can understand what his thought process was for saying, no, no, I, I want something different. Like to choose three different locations. That's interesting. Like I, I just 
Yeah, I read that in a story recently, like over the weekend, like that neither of them were his house. And I just wondered why, like, what's the point? Like, is it just to, to remain even further removed from it? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I thought the whole point of this thing was to be finally upfront and honest. And he's like, right. yeah, but not at my house. I'm not letting you see <laughs> yeah. any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moving on. Final one. We'll get out of here on this. The NBA TV is replaying the 2008 Celtics victory over the Lakers for their championship. Mm. Um, so I got a, I got a final one for one's got to go. The 2008 Celtics, the 2011 Mavericks, and the 2016 Cavaliers. And I use those three teams because those, unlike the Bulls, those were the, t- the teams over the recent years that were just one and dones, right? One championship and, and over. So they went to multiple finals, but um, only won one ring. So of those three one and dunners, one's got to go. I think you know the answer to this from my perspective, <laughs> although, uh, you know, the Celtics. It's the right answer. It's yeah. the right answer. Your I mean, answer is the right one. The, look, the Celtics were a good team. They just, everything broke right in 2008, and at least they were still able to. I mean, they were just good for a prolonged period of time, even if they weren't able to achieve championship success. And they're, they're, the basics of their team, their defense and everything else that made them so good, uh, not to mention the talents of Kevin Garnett, Pierce, and, and Rondo, and Ray Allen, of course. You know, those are, those, I mean, that was good. And LeBron being on any team, I think, makes them arguably greater. You know, to hell with the 2011 Mavericks. Sorry, Brian Cardinal. You, you don't get the kind of respect that you deserve from my from me. Um, I, I always I will take this to my grave. I really think the 2011 team was a fluke championship. I don't know if you can put... A, a, a asterisk next to it, but I would absolutely because it just it just feels wrong. I don't care what the argument is yeah. that they were a better team or anything like that. They were weak sauce, a hundred percent. The fact that George, I mean, sorry, the LeBron completely fell apart in the 2011 Finals, notwithstanding, I think the Dallas Mavericks team was just really bad. Um, I think we, I think that those those Miami Heat teams should have three peated, right? Oh, yeah. They should have won in 2011, 2012, 2013. And uh, the Mavericks were just not even in the same. Sh- like, and I will say this about that 2011 Heat team: with what they had to deal with from a publicity standpoint, and just the villainizing of that team, and just what they dealt with on the road yeah. on an everyday basis, and the media scrutiny, I think it is an accomplishment just to have reached the finals. And a lot of people look <laughs> at that season as a disappointment, and I don't. I think that that I look. I was disappointed in the moment. But you look back in hindsight, what they dealt with, and I cover the Warriors now, and they're like, oh, like, we get the scrutiny and all these things. I was like, you didn't deal with anything no. compared to what, what those Heat nobody teams dealt with. Nobody threw batteries at Kevin Durant. Yeah, nobody threw batteries right. at, at Steph Curry. You know, it's, it's a completely different attitude there. I mean, No, like Chris Bosh literally collapsing on the court after 2011, right, because it was just over and because they lost and because they had gone through so much. Like that just doesn't happen. That is crazy to have happened the way he did that. Um, uh, so, yeah, the Mavericks can get the hell out of here. Uh, 2008 <laughs> Celtics, you could argue that they should have won the next year, too. Yeah. Um, but Garnett got hurt. And then those 2016 Cavaliers, I think we, those are, oddly enough, some of the most underrated teams that we've ever had uh, because they just got swept by maybe the most lopsidedly talented team in the history of the sport with the, right. with the Warriors, who just like right. unfairly had Kevin Garnett, uh, Durant. And so... But you look at like the stats of those teams. You look, you stack up those those twenty seventeen that twenty seventeen Cavs team that went what uh, four and one against the that lost four to one to the, yeah. the Warriors in the finals. That was a damn good team. Like that team wins the championship most seasons. Um, with, I think there was with also LeBron like a little bit of playing. like exhaustion or kind of fatigue from just LeBron in the finals again, and just the kind of you tend to. 
I mean, especially maybe I'm sensitive to this as somebody who covers the heat, but there's, I think, a general consensus outside of that circle where it's like, oh, well, you put LeBron on any team, they're going to get to the finals. It's like, well, yeah, but they also have to be very, very good. It's not just a matter of having LeBron. It's also about having the right players, the right system, the right coaching around them. I still I think that matters not just to win a title, but to also just get to that point. And I think that's just not the, the the feeling. And when you look at those 2016 Cavaliers, you probably just say, "Oh, well, they had LeBron. Of course, they were going to you know be on there." But they were just they were a good team. Like they have three Hall of Fame level talents and a deep supporting cast. I mean, that's just that's as good a team as you're going to get in the NBA. Yeah, Kyrie Irving in the finals too that year was just unbelievable. Like one of the a great finals performance. Not. Not going to go up there as one of the all-time greats, but like his, that performance in the finals will, is, is up there with some of the, the best finals performances, especially when they were on their run to, to finish the Warriors off there. All right, that was really just an excuse to trash the 20, 2011 uh, Mavericks like a decade later. Always, so, always happy uh, to do that. <laughs> you can, we can bring it up for the next 10 weeks straight, and I'll be happy to mention something about them. <laughs> All right, well, we'll get out of here on that. <laughs> Remember to listen to... And subscribe to Locked On NBA on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts while you're there. Rate us, review us, say nice things about us. When you get done here, you can tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Rejecting the Screen. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.